You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Even me, even me, even David. If you're a guest this morning, my name is David Kennard. I get to be the one to share God's word with you this morning. And I'm grateful to even get to be here this time last week. I had the plague. Has anybody else had the plague this fall? Uh, The plague looks like a fever. It looks like hacking and coughing at levels that you're just begging God to either come back and take you home or to heal you. That was me last weekend, and I'm so thankful to Donnie and Michael and the group of people who covered me. Donnie uh, got the text on Saturday morning. I said, outside of... Uh, a miracle, I'm not gonna be there tomorrow. So he stepped up, took the message and ran with it. And I'm standing in my kitchen later this, uh, this last week, uh, crying, listening to him. He did a heck of a lot better job than I would have done. So I'm very grateful for a fantastic team of folks who uh, help us to be able to share God's word together. Uh, if you're a guest this morning or newer to the church, uh, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. We began a brand new theme that we'll be in for the next year or so. We started last month, and the theme is, help me out for those of you that have been around, all in. How much of us are in? All in. How many of us are in? All of us are in, yes. So that's the theme of what we're trying to do, this whole idea that because Jesus has gone all in for us, we can go all in for him. And so in this specific series, we've entitled it, Even Me. And the whole idea behind this is that even I can be all in. Even you can be all in. No matter what background you're coming from, no matter what story you might tell. And the truth is that every one of us have a story. And so we're gonna be inviting you over these next few weeks to be thinking about your own story. And if you felt too far from God, we want you to know that you can be all in with Jesus as well. And it's because of what Jesus has done for us that we can do that. The Apostle Paul, one of the very first century followers of Jesus, he was actually a persecutor of Christ and of Christianity, but then he encountered Jesus, and he would be the first to tell you, even if if I can be all in, he would say, you can be all in as well. In fact, he wrote these words to a first century church of Jesus followers, and we're way bigger than they would have been back then, but that first century church would have received a letter, we call it the book of Romans. It's in your Bibles in the New Testament. And our theme verse for this series comes from chapter 10 and verse 13. We'll put it up on the screen and you can follow along in the notes. If you have the Riverside app, by the way, encourage you to follow along there today inside of the app under the message notes in the today tab. Here's what Paul wrote to that group of first followers. He says, all who call out to the Lord will be saved. How many? All, that's our idea for this month, is that we can be, as I said again, all in. When it means, when he says all can be saved, that means made right with God. That means made right with others. It has a vertical component and a horizontal component. We can be rescued, we can be forgiven, we can be transformed because of what Jesus has done for us. And Paul would have known that better than almost anybody at that time. So no one is too far from God. And if you've got friends or family members that you think about during this series, if they're not here with you and you wish that they were, we're gonna be praying and asking the Lord because we believe that even me, even they can be all in no matter what we come from. And the question that I wanna wrestle with this morning is the simple question of is 
no one really too far from God? Because that's a natural, that's a natural question. And again, you may be here today and you're not yet a follower of Christ. You're, somebody's invited you or you've been walking around the mall and you wanted to check out what a church in a mall might be like and you're asking the kinds of questions that would lead you to this conclusion of, I just don't know if I can ever be truly all in or if God really cares about me that much, am I too far gone for God to be able to rescue me, for him to be able to redeem me? And that's what I want us to consider this morning as we began this series today. We're gonna be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. So if you need a Bible, there's some in the chairs below you or again, a digital version is a great way to follow along. We'll put some of the text up on there, but it's a long text that we're gonna look at today. (coughs) Excuse me. So I want to encourage you to follow along there in your Bibles. This story that we're going to read from today is one that Jesus told. It's called a parable. It's a made-up story to illustrate the fact that really in his audience, the day that he speaks these words, no one is too far from God. And it's a beautiful picture. And the thing is, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard this story. In fact, maybe you can even just get up and tell it. Or as soon as we begin to read it, You're going to say, oh yeah, I heard that. I already know it all. I want to invite you to think differently about this story today. In fact, I'm going to hopefully share some things with you that actually the Lord put in my life. There's just no way I'm going to get around that today. So uh, the Lord put this in my life back in June, July when I was on sabbatical, and I've been waiting for this weekend to be able to share this with you. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin there as we look through this story. In in verse one, here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They were intrigued and they were attracted. In fact, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People who would not have been in the same boat with Jesus got into the boat with Jesus because there was something about Jesus that was attractive. And so you've got these tax collectors and you've got sinners in the crowd as far away from God as you could get, but they were there to hear Jesus. But then you got the other side, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's a, that's a token of acceptance when you eat with them. So that was a criticism. Then Jesus told them this parable. And we're gonna look at this parable in just a moment. But I want you to see that there were two sets of people in the crowd that day. There were the tax collectors and the sinners, and there were the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people. And the story that Jesus is about to tell is actually going to address both of those crowds. And really, the primary audience that Jesus had that day would actually probably, at the end of our time together, may, may actually surprise you. Because we've all heard it told as the prodigal son. But there are actually two sons in this story. And no matter where you've come from, you can find yourself in this story. In fact, to help you to put yourself in the context of hearing this story in the crowd, if, you, if your last name begins with the letters A through L, would you just uh, wave your hand at me? Keep them up. Okay, all of you whose last name begin with A through L, you guys are the tax collectors and the sinners today, okay? So you are rebellious and you are far from God and you're not really sure, but you're attracted to Jesus. There's something about his teaching. If you're M through Z, let me see your hands. M through Z, okay. We're the religious people, 
we're the scribes and the Pharisees. We're the ones who have it all together, at least in first century culture. We look like we have it all together, okay? How many of you really, your last name doesn't go with the camp that you're in? No, you don't have to answer that. All right, so got these two groups of people, and both of them, are we, as we are going to see, are actually alienated from God. Both are looking for a way to receive acceptance and to, re- and to receive happiness in this world. You got the irreligious, far from God, wild living, um, leaving home, going away, and you've got the religious people who are traditionally moral. They're all about the study and obedience, and they worship faithfully, and they pray constantly. That's our crowd. That's the story. We're going to pick it up in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me in honor of God's word. And I've asked Shannon Franks to come, and she's going to read our text this morning. So uh, we're going to be beginning in verse 11, and she's going to read this story to us, and I want to invite you to follow along, again, in your Bibles or on your uh, tablets, on your phones, however, as she reads along. Let's follow along just as, and listen as she shares this story that Jesus teaches to that crowd that day. All right. Good morning, friends. Let's dig in. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, After all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for leaving these words recorded. And I thank you, Lord, that Luke did so much investigating to give them to us. Now, Jesus, may the truth of what you spoke that day to those two audiences land within our hearts this morning and bring change and bring transformation and bring hope and healing and forgiveness and a fresh way to understand your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So again, you've probably heard this story and you've probably heard it as the prodigal son. We'll begin with the younger son. He goes to the father and makes a request. He says, I want you to give me my inheritance now. And now in that day and age, because he was the younger son, he would have received one third of the inheritance from his father. The older son that we're gonna look at in just a little bit would have had two thirds. He would have received one third, but he does something that's so offensive that the first century crowd would have just shuddered at it. He says, I don't want to wait until you die, dad. I would like my stuff now. Normally you'd wait till death for that. But he says, dad, I want your things, but I don't want you. And then shockingly, the father's response would have caused the crowd to pause and take notice because this is a patriarchal kind of a culture with a deep respect for their elders. And that Greek word, I love this Greek word for property. He says, I want, all, all, I want my inheritance now. And so it says that the father doesn't put up a fight. The father doesn't try to correct his son. He goes and he sells his property. And the Greek word for property there is the word we get bios from. It means life. It means livelihood. And so the idea here is that this father has his property as, as his main value. That's what you had value for in that first century culture. In fact, your identity and your prestige and your importance in a local community was directly connected to how much property that you had, what your estate was like. And so he would have had to have gone and he would have had to sell off some land, sell off some property to be able to give his son his part of his inheritance. And literally what his son is asking him to do is to lower his rank in the community, lower his standing in front of his family and friends. And the father does it willingly. He says to his dad, hey dad, I'd really like for you to go ahead and tear your life apart from me. And that's exactly what the father does. The crowd would not have missed that as quickly as probably you and I was, you and I would. Jesus listeners, again, they would have been blown away. The father patiently endures the rejection of his son, the pain of that rejected love, and he endures this loss of honor. And I don't know about you or me, but I'm guessing when that happens to us, we'd, we'd retaliate. We tend to have that desire to want to lash out want to do some correcting, want to do some d discipline. But in Jesus' story, the way that he tells it, the crowd is just blown away by what they're hearing in these moments. The kid takes off and it's a disaster. As you heard Shannon read, things went really bad. There was a famine. He comes to the end of his senses. In fact, Jesus includes in a Jewish context there, that little bit about going to feed pigs, which would have been just so um, against the kosher laws and the experiences of Jewish people at that time. He adds that in there just to show how awful things had gotten for this younger son. He had disgraced his family. He had disgraced his community. He comes to the end of his rope, though. He was actually, as the text says, he was dead to the family. 
He was dead to his father by rabbinic standards. The rabbis taught in that day and age that if you violated the community's standing and and their standards, an apology was not sufficient. You had to make restitution. And so the son goes and he has a plan. He says, hey, I know that I've messed up. I know that I've offended. I know that I have completely dishonored you, father. I have ruined my relationship and my standing in this community. I'm not worthy to be able to come in as your son. In fact, I know that I have to make restitution. So if you will apprentice me to one of your hired men, I will learn a trade and I will slowly but surely pay my way back. And that's the perspective. That was his game plan. But we see something that Jesus includes in the story that is so beautiful. It says there that the father runs to his son. And in that day and age, in a patriarchal culture, where everyone ran to dad, dad runs to his son. Dads didn't run back then. It was a very distinguished culture. And he shows his emotion openly. He says, son, guys, I want you to go get the best robe for my son. Whose was the best robe? Dad's robe was the best robe. Guys, I want you to go get my robe and I want to put my robe. Son, I want to cover your mistakes. I want to cover your guilt. I want to cover your shame. I want to cover your debt. I want to cover your nakedness, your poverty, your rags. I want to cover that with my very own robe, with my office as father of this home, with my honor. I want to cover you with that. And then he kills the fatted calf, which would have been a very rare thing, saved for special occasions, saved for special events and parties. And the lesson there that we've all probably heard at one time or another, again, if we've been in church for very long, is that God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any sin. So if you're sitting here in this place today and you're wondering, can even me, can, can I actually be all in according to what Jesus teaches here, the father would say yes, and he's gonna run toward us. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, what you've done to yourself or what you've done to others, you can come home. I love how it describes the fact that the younger brother knew that there was abundant food to spare. There was more than enough food to spare. Look at that in the text. And as he goes to his dad and encounters his dad, he learns that there's not just food enough to spare, but there is grace to spare as well. There's no evil that the father's love cannot pardon. There's no evil that the father's love cannot cover. There's no sin that is a match for his grace. And if you're like that younger son coming into this place today, you need to be assured of that. You need to be reminded of that. You need to hear it perhaps for the very first time. And I love how Jesus paints the picture. He shows the father making all of these pronouncements over his son before his son even has a chance to say anything, before he has a chance to clean up his life, before he's had a chance to show his father that there's been a change of heart, before he can even repent. And the lesson there for you and I is that nothing, not even our humblest sorrow, merits or earns the favor of God. The love and acceptance of our heavenly father are absolutely free. And up to this point in the story, we see the freeness. 
of God's grace. Aren't you glad for it? Aren't you glad for it? But the rest of the story shows us the costliness of that grace and actually is the true climax of the story. And perhaps you've missed it over the course of your life. Maybe you've just kind of always stopped there, but there's more to the story. There's an encounter that the father has with the older son, with the older brother. You, read, you heard the story as Shannon was reading it. He disgraces his father too. He refuses to go in. In fact, you could say that he publicly, as he's waiting outside and he's throwing his little temper tantrum, he's casting a vote of no confidence in his father's leadership and what his dad was doing. In fact, just as his father had gone out to meet his younger brother, his father has to go out to meet him as well. Very demeaning again. He was jealous and he was, think about this, he was upset because there was a party being thrown. And whose money was throwing the party? His inheritance was being used to throw a party for this rebellious kid who the son, older son looked at and wanted to throw him under the bus. How dare dad use my money to bring this guy who hasn't been nearly as faithful as I've been? It's what's going on here in these moments. He chews his dad out and he says, you know, hey man, where's the justice? Why are you using my inheritance? And I love the father's response. It's amazingly tender. It's unexpectedly gracious. He says, son, despite how you've insulted me publicly, I still want you to come in. I still want you to be a part of the feast. I'm not going to disown your brother, but I don't want to disown you either. I challenge you to swallow your pride and come into the feast. Now, son, the choice is yours. Will you or will you not? And then the story just ends. Now, Jesus tells the rest of the story over in Luke chapter 54. There is no Luke 54. He leaves us hanging. He leaves us who like the nice, neat, tidy ending. He leaves those of us that like that frustrated because there's no ending to the story. Why didn't Jesus finish the story that day? What happens? Does the older brother end up coming in? Does he stay out? Does the family get reconciled? What ends up occurring? Well, we have no idea. And the reason that we have no idea, the reason why Jesus stopped that day and didn't finish the story was because the real audience that day in the crowd were the older brothers. The real audience in that crowd that day were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the scribes, the religious elite. They were the ones that Jesus is really trying to target. And by telling this story and leaving it where, is it, where, it is, where he does, he's looking at those men in the crowd that day, those religious people who think they've got it all together, and he's leaving that same question to them, will you come in 
will you accept me or not? And he couldn't answer that for them. And he can't answer it for you and for me today either. It's an individual decision that all of us have to choose and make on our own. He's pleading with his enemies to respond to his message. What's the message? Well, as we're gonna see, Jesus redefines everything. What it means to connect with God, what it means to experience sin and lostness, and what it means to be found. And in this story, as we unpack the rest of it for the remaining time we have together this morning, I want you to see that Jesus describes two ways of finding happiness. One is what you could call moral conformity. The other one is self-discovery. Moral conformity is what the older brother was all about. Self-discovery is more like what the younger brother does. Each way is an attempt to find significance and worth, and it's a way to try to determine right and wrong. And these two approaches, they often clash. In fact, who are our, who are our sinners, who are our tax collectors and sinners? Okay, I want you guys to point at the people who are not around you. Go ahead, point at the ones that are around you that didn't raise their hands. Go ahead, the religious elite. Now, religious elite, let me see your hands, Pharisees and scribes. Okay, go ahead and point at the people around you because that's what we do. We point at each other. The older brothers look at the younger brothers and say, how dare you? The younger brothers look at the older brothers and say, man, I don't want that life, that's awful. And they're constantly going back and forth. And we see it in our world, certainly, today. And then you have some people who look really good on the outside. Some people who look like they've got it all together and very religious and very moral and very holy and very pure and very righteous. But inside, guess what they're doing? They're living the younger brother lifestyle inwardly. It's not an outward it's not an inward transformation. They're living on the outside, pure and holy and righteous, religious, so to speak, but inwardly, they wanna be just like that younger brother. And Jesus says that both approaches will end up, at the end of the day, a wreck. Now, why doesn't the older brother go in? Jesus actually answers this for us. He tells us in the story, I've never, he, listen to these words, because I've never disobeyed you. In his mind, he had never made a mistake with it as it relates to his dad. But the elder brother didn't lose relationship in spite of his... <coughs> the younger brother didn't lose relationship in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness. It wasn't his sins that created the barrier between him and his dad. That's what had happened with the younger brother. But the older brother, it's the pride in his own moral record that causes him to have a distance from his father. It's not his wrongdoing, but it's his righteousness that's keeping him from sharing in the feast. The older son wanted the same thing as the older the older wanted the same thing as the younger. They took, they took different approaches. He was just as resentful. The older son was just as resentful of the father as the younger one was. He was just trying to do it by wrapping it in righteousness, in self-righteousness. You see, he wanted his father's stuff too. And he didn't really want relationship with his father. The younger brother went far away. The older brother stayed right there and never, never disobeyed, but that was his way to gain control. 
His unspoken demand is, Father, I've never disobeyed you. Therefore, you owe me. And now I control you, Dad. And I want some stuff. And I want it to be this way. And now, God, I want you to do it my way and how I want it. That's how the older brother approaches God, as we think we can control God. One is a rejection of the things that we see and the morality, and I'm gonna define it for myself. That's what a younger brother does. An older brother says, I'm gonna do whatever I possibly can to live as righteous and holy as possible so that in God's sight, I have some rights. And I do things because I want God to do them the way that I want to do them. I live the way that I do so that I can somehow, in my own mind, control God. You see how they were both using God to serve their self-interests at the end of the day? And the implication of this is that we can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping them all of them diligently. It's a shocking message for us today. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. In other words, when you live so holy, so righteous, so morally conformed, and you're such the do-gooder that you're doing it because of the self-righteousness of your own soul, you're trying in an effort to save yourself, you're trying in an effort to be so religious that God then owes you God owes you answered prayers. He owes you a good life. He owes you a ticket to heaven when you die. You don't need a savior who pardons you by free grace. You're your own savior. That's what this older brother, that's how he was living. And it was just as far from his father as the younger who had gone into crazy life, gone into a mess. So religious and moral people can keep God at distance and try to control God and can be avoiding Jesus as much as younger brothers who don't believe and try to define morality by their own lives. I like how Tim Keller says it in his book, The Prodigal God. He says, sin is not just breaking the rules. It's putting yourself in the place of God as savior, Lord, and judge, just as each son sought to displace the authority of the father in his own life. Each one took matters into their own hands. One was a journey of self-discovery through crazy living. The other one was through moral conformity and trying to control God in that way. And Jesus is looking at those two sets of people in the crowd and he's saying, hey, all of you, sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees and scribes, the good news is that you're all wrong. Every single one of you. The gospel says that all of us are wrong. Both approaches end up leaving us wanting, end up leaving us empty, end up leaving us frustrated. And that tension was mounting there in the crowd that day. And yet, the gospel says everyone's wrong, but it also says that everyone is loved and that everyone has called to change, to see this, to recognize this, and to change. But the older brother is more dangerous. 
That's why I think most of the time when we hear this story, the focus is on the younger brother. But the older brother is actually more dangerous because the older brother doesn't often see it. When you look in the mirror, when you look at somebody's life, and you can see their life and one is headed down a train wreck, that's easy to see. You know that person needs to come home. And again, that might be you today. But for those of us who are religious, those of us who have grown up in a church content where, a context where it's about checking off a list of do's and don'ts, where it's about moral conformity and trying to live to a certain set of standards, in an effort deep, deep down inside to be self-righteous, Jesus says, that's the more scary one. That's the one that you don't see when you look in the mirror. You're blind to it. That's the one that has the deeper implications. You can see it when you read through it. It's a more desperately spiritual condition. Look at it there throughout. Just look at what he says there in that conversation. He's angry. He's resentful. He's like superior. This son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother. He's hardworking. He's exhausted. He's miserable. He says, I've been slaving for you. It's like a fear-based compliance to try to get dad's blessing. There's a lack of assurance of his father's love. He says, you never threw me a party. He's plagued by the question, how good is good enough? And he's angry about it all. Younger son sees it more quickly. Older son doesn't get it until that day when Jesus holds up the mirror to all of those religious people. And for some of us, we're not followers of Jesus because we've been using, just maybe, we've been using older brothers as an excuse to not come to Jesus. We've been looking at other people that we would say, hey, you know, I don't want anything to do with their version of Christianity. Don't confuse us with Jesus. It's a decision you have to make on your own. You can't blame anybody else. You can't compare yourself to anybody else. It's you and Jesus. And the beauty of this story is that within this story, Jesus leaves us with that angst that we need something else. We need a true love that comes from our Heavenly Father. We need a love like the Father expressed in the story. Son, all that I have is yours. All the love that I have, all the concern that I have, all of that is yours. And he always initiates in both of those encounters. He initiates with the younger, he initiates with the older, and he's initiating with you today as well. He's running to you. And there needs to be a response. We also, the text tells us, we also... We need a true elder brother. And that's what Jesus does in the story. He leaves the true elder brother. If you think about this, if your brother did what the younger brother did, whose responsibility was it to go and get that younger brother? In that culture, older brother should have gone at his own expense to go and rescue his younger brother. And Jesus leaves the story with this picture painted that day that they were envisioning, man, that's the kind of brother. Instead, the younger brother got a Pharisee for an older brother. But in that moment, Jesus is saying, you know what? You need not only my father's initiating love, but you need a true elder brother, and I'm who you're looking for. 
that day they would have begun to see and understand with fresh lenses what Jesus has done in coming to them, being able to help them to see that he's the true elder brother that they really needed in the story. I'm so grateful we didn't get a Pharisee as an older brother, aren't you? We got someone who left the splendor of heaven, came and paid the price for us. He paid our debt in our place. And as we wrap our time up here together this morning, we're gonna go to the tables and we're gonna remember what Jesus did as our elder brother. Our response is to do exactly what the younger brother did, acknowledge our mistakes, acknowledge our failures, own our sin, rest in his grace by faith, and gaze at the wonder and the work of what our elder brother Jesus has done for us. So where are you in the story? I had you choose by your last name, tax collector, sinner, scribe, or Pharisee. Are you with the older brother camp? Or are you with the younger brother camp? I don't know where you might find yourself today. We have a true elder brother that's come for us in Jesus who displays for us beautifully in this story the love of our heavenly father and invites us to be honest about where we're at because everyone has a story. What's your story? What's brought you here today? And as you think about your own story, I wanna share with you Nate Barber's story. He's one of us here at the mills he sat down with us and allowed us to share his story with you today about how God has worked in his life. We're going to do this for each week of the series, Lord willing. We are going to get to hear from a different Riversider about their story. Think about the grace and the mercy and the love and the faithfulness of God in Nate's life as you think about what he's doing right now today in your life. Um, I had a grandmother that really loved the Lord. Um, that's kind of where um, the word of God was first instilled in my life at a very young age. Um, she used to sit me on her lap and read the scriptures. I had no idea, you know, I didn't know it was like five. I didn't know what was really going on, but I knew that that was obviously something really important. So, um, that's where it all started. About 12 years old, um, it got, it was real, real rough for me. And uh, I actually went to church one night on my own, um, because I knew, like, I needed, I needed God. So, there was really, I did get saved, but there wasn't anyone to, like, disciple me. So I did my, you know, I did my own own thing, went out, uh, smoked, drank, you know, just, you know, lived, lived the life, you know. I say when Jesus became real, like when I encountered the real Jesus, uh, was about 26, 26 years old. My mom had just passed, and she was like my go-to. She was like my ace, like... Like, she was my Bible. I didn't really have to 
read the Bible because I could do, I could do something and go, you know, what was that scripture that says like God forgives me, and I could kind of bounce. I could call her up and say, and she'd say, oh, it was this and that, but she'd be, you need to live this way, and I'm, yeah, I will. But when she died, it was like, man, I have to, I got to know God for myself now. I got to, like, really know him for myself, and what does that mean? And actually, it was more supernatural um, what, had, what happened. It's like she died and God just, he did something. He, he, by the Holy Spirit, my desires started to change. A lot of things that I was doing, I started to not want to do them as much anymore. I started to feel conviction for the first time for things that I was doing. Um, I had friends that um, I wanted to kind of hang on to and they like one by one, you know. Uh, I was the I was the the weed guy. So once the weed wasn't in the store anymore, I mean one by one they just started popping, you know, popping off, leaving. And uh, I remember getting a prophetic word about God sending me, you know, uh, a friend. And God sends me like this 60, 62 year old like white guy who's like filled with the Spirit and loves God and. I'm, at first, I'm thinking, like, we have nothing in common. Like, you don't know my struggle. You know, you don't know what that's that's about. And um, sure enough, he, he's still in my life to this day. The past several years, I, you know, was, you know, I lost um, my wife. Um, it's almost been a, been a year. It's, I don't want to say, I don't know, bittersweet is the right on the one hand, um, she was my, you know, best friend. I mean, we had got to that point where we were like best friends. Um, we're not going to be here forever. And that that's the strong emphasis on knowing Christ now, why you have that opportunity to know Christ, because you just don't know. And uh, the way the cancer with her, it was like it was so unexpected you know, and even when we found out that she had it it was like, oh you're gonna you know, no doubt it was like God's gonna, God's gonna heal us no doubt he did heal her, but not here, not here in this world it's been hard, really hard, but the Lord has given me and my family the strength and the focus to lean on him. All in, all in to me is uninterrupted fellowship with God. Um, it's walking step by step with God. What that looks like for me is trusting Him. Just have your face in the Word, you know, no matter what. And just pray through it all. Through it all. Even me, no one is too far. All who call on the name of the Lord will be 
saved. If you're like that younger brother that's been running, your heavenly father runs at you, towards you today to embrace you, to put his best robe of righteousness around you, not your best efforts, to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you from all the mistakes and unrighteousness. You can receive that in your life today right where you're seated. If you've been like me, the older brother, I'm, that's me. I've struggled with it my whole life. That best robe is available for you too. That you don't have to do it by your own best efforts in an effort to be self-righteous, to control God, but he wants to envelop you, put his best robe of his righteousness on his terms for you. The great thing is his robe fits everybody. So would you bow your hearts with me and I want to pray for you. Father, all over this room, some of us have been running. It's time to come home. Some of us have been trying to define our own righteousness by our best efforts and our good deeds and our own moral code. It's getting us empty and dry and angry and bitter. No matter where we find ourselves on the spectrum today, Jesus, we need you, our true elder brother, to come and apply your broken body and your shed blood again to us in a fresh new way to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we might be truly lifted from our shame and our guilt and our pride and our arrogance. And Father, I thank you that at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We're all able to experience the good news of your love and your mercy. Would you put on your robe in each individual life here today as we ask you for that? Would you minister to us in our point of need as we sing these songs, as we head to the tables, as we receive your broken body and shed blood on our behalf? reminders of what you've done for us today. Help us to remember all that you've done and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.